Listener discretion is advised, as this content is intended for adult audiences only. Hidden signal. Q-Code presents Hidden Signal, The Excavator and Kid Stuff. I spend most of my day covered in trash. I'm not a garbage man. I don't pick up bins and hang off the back of a smelly truck. But I work with rubbish all the same. My equipment is sophisticated and expensive, probably one of the greatest human inventions up to this point. And I use it to sift through trash. People hire me to find things in the mess. They come to my office and sit in my comfortable chair, as comfortable as I could afford, which puts it somewhere better than a brick but less than a massager. And I plug in my wires and step into their brain and pick through the dump. Forty years ago, this job would have been a piece of cake. But it's not 40 years ago, and nobody had a need for this back then. Now everybody has a screen, and a screen within that screen and a screen in their car, and a screen on their desk. And those screens blast them with ads and pop-ups and pop-up ads until their brains can't tell the difference between their kid's birthday and Black Friday. If you can afford it, you can compartmentalize and stuff all that useless crap into a backup brain, a disk image of your soul. But if you're seeing me, it means you can't afford a backup. And it's my job to go in there and find what you're looking for under all those commercials. I was built for this job. When I was a kid, I kept journals and made albums. And when all my friends were tagging their digital archives, I spent my time cutting index cards to just the right size to fit the shoebox where I kept snapshots. My friends thought I was weird. One kid shoved me off the seawall near my house and broke my arm. I wish I kept my cast that had all those signatures on it probably the last time any of those people used a pen. Most of my work is civil cases. Families looking to scrape a few extra dollars off the carcass of their dying relatives. Sometimes I'll do personals. That's almost always a son or daughter looking to recover a bank password from their vegetable parents. I turn down the infidelity cases or embezzlement. There might be a piece of paper that says it's okay if I go rooting around in the alleged embezzler's brain But I went in once and saw that they didn't sign that contract peacefully. It's like these people forget that I can see everything that happened once I'm in there. I can usually do about four or five cases a day. Every excavator has their own approach. Some get in there and wrestle with the brain till it spits out what they want like broken teeth. I take a more laid-back approach. I see what the brain gives me and coax it into what I want. These are lost memories, so very rarely are they in the first place you look. I like to land and get settled. I see where I'm at and go from there. But it's not as simple as poking around the file drawer. I've been doing this long enough that it's muscle memory. But for you, I'm going to pretend I'm explaining it for the first time. We go in because someone has lost something. And it's our job to find it. The brain is a big electrical web, connected by keywords and context. One keyword, I call them tags, leads to another tag, leads to another tag, and eventually I find whatever it is they hired me to find. Like walking into a puzzle store, finding a piece and putting it back in the right box. You want the tags to provide a specific context, but not so specific you zoom past what you're looking for. 
and not so broad you end up walking through half their life on the way to the bank password or locker combo or whatever minuscule thing is keeping their relatives from money. I don't use the tag birthday anymore. There's always too much linked to birthdays. The last job I started from birthday took eight hours to finish. And if I'm taking eight hours in there, I'm not getting hired again. I mentioned context, but I want to give context some context. If the tags open up rooms for me in the brain, context is the wallpaper and the furniture in that room. And when you're in an Alzheimer's patient, that context can be all over the place. And if the brain doesn't want you there, it might switch context on you all of a sudden. You have to watch where you step. I use the tags and context together to find the client's request. Sometimes you can look at a room and see what's missing. Or sometimes something's out of context and you know it belongs somewhere else. It all depends on how much information the client gives me. This is how I explain my job to every new client. I give this speech four or five times every day. Today is different. I give the speech to a new client, but it's someone I've known for a while. My brother sits across from me, in the same chair that so many twitchy inheritors have sat before him. They always have a reason. It's what you would want. My father and I were always close, even if he didn't say it. But they say that stuff for them. I know it's about the money. Money hidden behind passwords, hidden behind trash, and ads and jingles, hidden behind the dying brain of a parent. My brother isn't here for cash. My brother and I haven't spoken in a while. He's bigger than I remember, but smaller at the same time. He launches into the pretext. I can tell it's going to be a long one, so I ask him to just tell me what he needs. It's mom. Great. I moved across the country to get away from my family, and now they're back, in my office. Do you think people can tell you have a dysfunctional family? Do you walk different if your parents were drunks? Do you smell a certain way if you don't talk to your siblings anymore? Can people see it on you? Do they change how they treat you? Mom is laid up in the hospital, and she's not responding anymore. Her new husband thinks she would want to stay like this indefinitely. He says her life is a gift from God. <sighs> Mom's religious now? I think to ask him, but I don't want this interaction to last any longer than it needs to. I know Mom wouldn't want to be this way for more than five minutes, but Mom never left an advance directive anywhere either of us could find it. I think for a moment. There are excavators a lot closer to where you live. Why'd you come out here? My brother looks at me like I have clown makeup on. You're her son. You could find it faster. I'm not made of money and I can't afford to have someone in there for a few hours. You'll find it in five minutes. I am good at my job. I reach to my drawer and pull out a service agreement. My brother grumbles, but signs it. I head for home. I'm not from a great area, so I'm very surprised when I get to the hospital and they have new equipment. My mom couldn't be dying in a nicer place. I head to her room and get my gear set up. Her new husband tries to shake my hand and I lie to him about contamination. I wire her up and put on my helmet. There's no bright flash or anything when I go into someone's brain. 
One second, I'm in the hospital room. The next second, I'm in a legal office. Figured I'd start there. But my mom is much younger here, and she's crying. Oh, this is not about the advanced directive. This is about her and my dad. I try a different tag. Now I'm in a bar. Mom's there. She's falling off her stool. Some guy helps her back up. He kind of looks like the white hair I met in the hospital, but I can't be sure. There's not going to be anything here. I move on. Now I'm on our old porch. I don't remember what tag I used to get here. Did I plug this one in? Mom's there. She motions for someone to sit in the chair next to her. I look around. I'm the only one here. This is a memory, so if she's waving invisible people over to her chair, maybe this is when it all started to break down for her? This isn't when I started to lose my mind. I'm asking you to come sit next to me. That shouldn't happen. I'm just... I'm just going back through the tapes of people's minds. The tapes shouldn't be able to talk back. Well, I am. And you're here. So why don't you have a seat? I think I'm jet-lagged from the flight over. It's not jet-lag either. I decide to humor whatever is happening here. How can you know what I'm thinking? You're in my brain. You don't think I can look back into yours? This is a two-way street, buddy. She always used to call me buddy. I'm supposed to... I'm supposed to get your advanced directive and let... I know what you're here to do. Is it all right if I spend a few moments with my son before I go? My brother is paying me by the hour, so my time in here is covered. What a loving way to think about spending time with your mother. I sit quietly. She can read my thoughts, so she already knows how I feel about this. You're the one invading my head, and you're upset at me? This has got to be some kind of neurochemical malfunction. <sighs> When's the last time I serviced my gear? <sighs> I can't remember. Great. Now I'm going to have to hire somebody to figure out the last time I had a tech look at my tools. Hope I'm not out of compliance. I've had a lot of time to think about things in here. And what did you realize? I don't want to drag this out much longer. My brother can't afford the time it would take to have a full cathartic conversation. I didn't always do right by you. Took you a little bit longer, but I'm glad you figured it out. If it makes any difference, I go back to the times I wish I had done different, and I make it count. I treat you better. That's nice. But those are just memories. They're all I've got now. But you're here, and I wanted to tell you. I know you're anxious to get back to the real world, so I'll just tell you. I left you a copy of the advanced directive in my safety deposit I opened with Henry. That's what I needed. I stand. I don't know why. I don't have to stand or sit or walk or run or anything to leave this place. I can just leave. Maybe I'm just trying to be polite to whatever this echo is of my mom. And I appreciate that, sweetheart. I look at her for a moment. I'm back in the hospital room. I tell my brother and Henry where they can find the advanced directive. They take off to find it. It's just me and mom. She looked much younger in her head. I head home. 
On the plane, I wonder if this job will be one of those times that I'll be trying to fix when I'm by myself in my head. For now, I'll assume I did the right thing. Hidden Signal, Kid Stuff. I am a scientist and an artisan. I don't think I can call myself an artist yet, but my work is specialized and requires a deft hand. My background is unlike any of my colleagues, which they always use to argue against my ideas. Not because of a lack of experience, I have plenty, but because they say I can't use myself as reference. Why would he use himself as reference? I can almost hear your dull brain asking. I design people, not their clothes or their homes or their hair, but people. It's a mix of robotics and genome manipulation. And if I thought you were smart enough to understand, I'd spend the rest of my time explaining it instead of telling you this story. But you're not, so I'm not. Mostly kids. Lots of folks come to me to request that I build them the child of their dreams. The kids grow up eventually and move on. We have a database that tracks them in case they go rogue. But for all parties involved, it's another shot at childhood. At 1.75 times the aging rate, of course. Don't ask why, and have me explain to you how I can't explain it to you. Raising a family. Many of the parents I work with don't talk to their real kids anymore. Maybe they just feel like taking another crack at it to prove they weren't that bad the first time around. I entered this field because I wanted to make something beautiful. I don't care about terraforming Mars, and I have no interest in finishing the solar Dyson sphere. Jobs for scientists with my level of intellect are few and far between. I started small, two or three assemblies a year, but as my reputation grew, so did my waiting list. So I expanded my production capabilities and learned new techniques until I could construct seven to 10 assemblies a quarter. One thing you'll notice amongst the super smart is that we're always learning. The word is autodidactic. No, I'm not going to define it for you. More clients means more notes. And every day I sit there and listen to people tell me how to assemble the personality of their kid when they can't even tell me what color a gallbladder is. It's a brownish greenish yellow. It's their money, but why hire me? if you're just going to dumb down the whole process with your inane ideas and how your kids should be smart and also do the dishes every night. Those two are mutually exclusive. You get one or the other. And some clients are even worse. I nearly dropped the ear I was holding when my parents walked into my office. You don't see me without a referral, and you certainly don't visit unless you're ready to buy. I don't even call them on birthdays and Christmas, so their presence was unusual at best and suspect at most. I smiled and made pleasantries and guided them to my consultation desk. My consultation desk has a bunch of see-through anatomical sculptures and stuff that gives me credibility. I don't do any work there. My actual desk is covered in empty Pringles cans, zero milligrams of cholesterol, and my notes. That's where I do my work. How can I help you? I asked mom and dad. My mom spoke first. We're sorry to drop in unannounced, but 
Everyone we spoke to told us you were the best. I smiled, thinking of what it must be like to have a son that's an expert in their field. Whoever it was should get a kickback, I joked poorly. Dad leaned over the desk. Aunt, Anthony, I corrected him. Anthony, Dr. Mills, we want you to build something for us. A dog, cat, iguana. I'm not the best fish maker, but I can give it the college try. You have such a big brain and you can't see what's right in front of you. I did not want to hear their request. My dad kept speaking. We'd like you to build us a son. A son? They already had a son. I was sitting right in front of them. This was just another mind game in their endless emotional chess match that I was unlucky enough to be born into. Interesting. And why would you want another son? Why do you care? My mom spit these words at me. I'm glad it wasn't my real workspace. Lots of negative energy. I have to ask every potential client this. This is a life we're talking about. I folded my hands into a steeple to look like I was very interested in their answer. My dad spoke after a few seconds. The house is a little lonely lately, and we'd like the energy a young person brings. Like when you bring a puppy to your old dying dog. My dad didn't think that was funny. Our money's good. Do you want the job or not? He tossed his wallet into the fake desk for emphasis. Same since I was a kid. A rubber band around a bunch of dollar bills. I unclasped my steeple and held my chin. I wasn't thinking about whether or not to take the job. I already decided I would. I was deciding how long to keep them in suspense. I made them wait long enough. I'll do the job. I buzzed my assistant to draw up the services agreement and gave them my email address only for their thoughts, hopes, dreams, and wishes. But I may as well have handed them the trash bin. I had no intention of reading that email. I had other designs. Once they left the office, I moved their job to the top of my queue and stepped into my lab. There was no way to ignore this and focus on other jobs. I had to be honest with myself. Their list arrived a few minutes later, and it was suspiciously all the inverse qualities of myself. I wonder what led them to this notion. I deleted their email and got to work. My goal was to create myself. Again. And if they were so unhappy with me the first time, how would they handle round two? I poked my head into my assistant's office and asked them to describe me in a few qualities. His face turned like the vacuum seal failed on the small intestines in storage. Qualities of you? Yes, I need reference for a new project. I showed him my teeth to let him know that this was a safe space. If he were another species of primate, this would be very threatening behavior, but humans enjoy smiles. I smiled larger in hopes the space would seem even safer. He answered, you're ambitious, detail-oriented, exacting, unforgiving, quick to anger. Thank you. I've had enough. I wasn't about to freak out on him and prove him right. I skulked back to my workspace. 
I looked at the carbon fiber composite skeleton that I was going to slough all that meat and veins onto and wondered what type of person I was. How can sinew and blood encapsulate all that I am? Then, I remembered I could recreate this inquisitive attitude in the construction by fiddling with the curiosity dial. I was midway through calibrating his hard-headedness when I remembered my sister. Not only were my parents insulting me, they were adding another boy to the family. Had they talked to Annabelle? Had they even considered a girl? They were old-fashioned drunks, so I'm not surprised they were misogynistic as well. Since this assembly was going to be my sibling, I decided to finagle some of the qualities to avoid another Annabelle knockoff. I don't want to worry about forgetting two siblings' birthdays a year. I finished the psychological profiles and gave him physical features to differentiate him from me in the daylight, but at night, when my parents tucked him in, they'd see little Anthony in the dim light. Let them lay in that bed figuratively. These constructs need a lot of sleep at first, so if they laid in bed with him, they'd probably slow his recovery and adjustment period. I set the oven to bake and decided to come back in the morning. I'm always exhausted after a build, and I wanted to be wide awake for the reveal. The next day, my assistant knocked, differentially, of course, and stepped into the lab. He's not allowed in the lab, so I knew it was something serious. Those clients that hired you for the latest assembly? He quivered. They're my parents, but go ahead. They backed out. They're asking for a refund. Always a risk when you don't give the clients 24 hours. People come in here with their hair on fire, screaming about a one-day turnaround and how they need this and that. But every assembler and constructor knows, add 24 hours onto your bid, there's always a chance they'll back out. And this saves you the hassle of using all that fluid on a build you're just going to throw out. My parents got me again. I saw how they raised me. I should have known they'd back out. I waved my assistant off and walked to the oven. I looked at little me, sleeping so peacefully in the stove. My, his chest expanding and contracting. One of my special touches is to add a breath cycle. They don't need to breathe. It just adds to the comfort of those around the construct. I reached out to the purge valve, and my hand hovered over release. I don't know why. I could afford the hit on my plasma and endocrine supplies, and it wasn't like he had a home to go to. Unless... That night, I pulled into my driveway. So this is where we're going to live from now on, Aunt. Little Anthony studied my modest house. I didn't like the eyes he was making at it. He turned to me. All right. I tried to remember how I calibrated his gratitude spectrum, but saw he was fiddling with the locked door, so I rushed to open it for him. He walked right in. Not a whiff of thanks. So I must not have turned his gratitude very high. That night, I stayed up and checked on little Anthony a few times. I wanted to make sure his recuperation was on schedule, and he was meeting his baseline. After the second, purely clinical, visit, 
he asked me not to come in anymore and to knock if I needed anything. Was I this much of a little asshole? I thought about emailing my parents, but they'd probably report me for not disposing of the build. I didn't sleep. The next morning and the next few weeks and the next few months followed a similar pattern. Little Anthony would be a dickhead despite my best efforts. He was nothing like me. I examined all my hardware for defects or errors, but I couldn't trace the source of this inconsistency. I even had a science shaman give my lab a non-denominational blessing. I asked for a science-based exorcism from little Anthony, but the shaman politely declined. I accepted I'd have to reprogram little Anthony, which is very difficult once you encase his personality unit in his brain. Really, your only options at that point are conversational. So I conversed. It took time for him to open up, but when he did, I could see that external factors were weighing on him heavily. The kids at school were unwelcoming. He felt above all the schoolwork, and he grappled nightly with the question of whether he was a person or not due to his being formed in a lab. And that's when I realized, aside from the existential crisis, these were all issues I faced. I opened up to little Anthony. I told him how the kids at school called me Lamethony, which didn't even rhyme, and my teachers often consulted with me on next year's lesson plan. And little Anthony smiled. I had to resist the urge to run a diagnostic. Instead, I enjoyed the moment. Hey, Aunt, I started. Yeah. Mind if we talk like this more often? I could see little Anthony computating a response. That's no problem. I tapped the bed and smiled. This was a breakthrough. I rubbed his head and floated to my bedroom. I thought of all the possibilities little Anthony and I could explore together. And as I drifted off, I wondered if he'd let me examine his processing core to do a check against baseline. I'll wait, I thought. Baby steps. Hidden Signal, The Excavator, and Hidden Signal, Kid Stuff are narrated by Ashton Harold, written by Ben Waller, directed by Lauren Sinelli, executive produced by Rob Herding, Sandra Yi Ling, and Shin Yin Hee Yu, co-producers Lauren Sinelli, Sarah Ma, and Tom Breck, original score and composition by Darren Johnson, audio engineering and editing by Sarah Ma, script supervisor Tom Breck, special thanks to Jack Friedman and Nick Shanks. This podcast was recorded under a SAG-AFTRA collective bargaining agreement. Hidden Signal is a Q-Code production. Sound recording copyright 2023 by Q-Code Media Inc. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. 
Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.